0: free will is an illusion our wills and notice he's a neuroscientist Mm -hmm. our wills are simply not our own making thoughts and intentions emerge from background causes of which we are unaware and over which we exert no conscious control we do not have the freedom we think we have
1: welcome to the search podcast where we have conversations about the big questions of god and life I'm your host, Blaine Larson, and today I've got the privilege of speaking to Don Barkley, Area Director for Search out in Orange County, California. And Don, we have got a big topic on the docket for today. If God is in control, do we really have free will? Now, could I have said that sentence differently? Or was it predetermined to always be just that way?
0: <laughs> oh, that's the big question, Blaine. Um, uh that's what we're going to try to answer. Did you freely say that or did you have to?
1: Well, you wrote it for me on a piece of paper and told me I had to say it that way. So, <laughs> the answer to the question right there. <laughs> yep. Maybe Don's really in control. It's not God, it's Don Barkley's in control. Oh, that would be awful. <laughs> that would be awful. Oh god. Well, in all, in all seriousness, this is this is one of those classic philosophical questions that a lot of people bump into at some point along their journey of trying to figure out god exploring christianity because you don't have to read the bible very long before you run across these passages where you go oh my gosh like man god is is a pretty powerful strong in control character how does that really work uh so Let's just dive right in and start unpacking some of the options and the ways to look at this.
0: Let's do that. And I, I did some math um, in my head last night thinking, how many times do you think have I, have I heard this question? I've done a lot of discussions over the 37 years I've been with search and, and probably was asked this before that. But um, if, if I've heard this question, I, I don't think it's exaggerating. I think I've heard this question 20 times a year. Wow. So times say 40, that's 800 times. Wow. And and it's usually just like that. If God is in control of everything, then how can I have free will? It makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. If God's in control, you think of a puppeteer. And I'm saying there's strings attached. Remember Pinocchio's dream to get free of those strings? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we all kind of feeling like wait a minute, are there strings attached? So it's a very common question. If God is in control of everything, how can I have free will? And so it's based on this assumption and and I've heard this from people who are contemplating the the reality of God. Many of these folks are agnostic or whatever and they're kind of looking from the outside in and saying, "Well, one problem I have is is I don't like the idea of being controlled by anybody and I just want to have an answer to this question. And I'm going to ahead of time, I'm going to give you Um, a shocking conclusion that I'm going to draw and I'll tell you ahead of time and so rather than asking is God in control of everything then how can I have free will I'm going to say and conclude how can you have free will without God
1: that I bet is a very surprising conclusion to many of our listeners so you've got to unpack for me how you wind up there
0: yeah now you're thinking maybe I shouldn't have chosen to have Don Barkley (laughs) as a guest Well, maybe I didn't choose at all. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. How can you have free will without God? And what I'm going to start with is just this this theme, is that in a purely physical world, I think free will is edged out. Purely physical world, a physical world. Mm -hmm. So let's assume there's no God, no supernatural, and all is natural or material. So everything is just molecules and atoms. Um, Sophisticated, complex. So we have compounds, we have chemical reactions, we have motion of all kinds, and and it's t- typical also of of, a, of this kind of materialist worldview. Sometimes you hear um, naturalistic, or secular, or materialistic. They all kind of mean the same thing. When we say materialistic in this sense, we're not talking about you know buying stuff before Christmas. You know, we're talking about materialism that way. Materialism in a philosophical sense means that I believe all is matter. Matter is all that matters, because matter is all that is. So talking from that point of view, there's no God, and usually in that worldview, the person also denies the existence of any non-material part of us, right? It just Mm -hmm. follows. If everything is material, then there's no invisible you. There's no soul. There's no spirit, right? So um, in a way, you could say there's really no mind. There is a brain, but there's no mind. mind. Where do you find the mind? Well, I've met
1: some people that I'd pretty sure, oh,
0: never mind, we're gonna edit, <laughs> or they're out of my mind, their mind, or they've lost their mind, right? Well, wait a minute, no, they still have their brain, yeah, but they've lost their mind, and so there's something something that's distinct from mind from brain, right? well, a true uh-huh. materialist sees brain, that's it, yeah, I mean, to be consistent, so we're yeah. just talking consistent, um and then. It starts with a series of just premises. Some things we know about this material, physical world that uh, when there's motion, then there's a cause. And this is from the classics, Aristotle on. You know, a a chain of movement. Life is change. Life is flux. And and he 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 had to get to that. He had to deduce that there must be an unmoved mover because you couldn't have an ongoing chain of contingent motions, right? Something yeah. had to be absolute and start the whole thing running. There had to be somebody to tip that first domino. Um, so we seem to know that every event has a cause if, um, and here's an example of how, how we are wired for this. And I got this from another source. I didn't make it up, but I think it's brilliant. If you're in a room with a cat and suddenly a ball rolls across the room, what does the cat do?
1: Goes and chases it.
0: Exactly. And of course the man does too, right? No. <laughs> What does the man? The man do? is
1: glad that the cat is not next to him anymore.
0: <laughs> You're a dog lover, <laughs> I know. Um, it, it, the person, the human being, tends to look f- where? Where did that come from? Because we're wired, you know, for causality. We're wired for cause. Where did that come from? We are wired and accustomed to the fact that events have causes, and every cause has a cause, and every cause that caused that cause, which caused that cause, has a cause. And so um, uh, Blaine, you and I were talking about uh, Zoe's project earlier. Tell us about the project.
1: Well, yeah, so we were talking about this because it's – Zoe, Yes, my daughter, had to make a Rube Goldberg machine for for school and that's one of these deals where – you gather up all kinds of random things around the house, and um, you know it's like dominoes. And we had a Hot Wheels car—I uh, don't know—track that like my my sons have, and we had books and just things. And so, you, and you like, you know, you start it by swinging something to hit the car to move down the track to hit the dominoes to makes the books fall down that eventually closes her bedroom door. And so, we're making this thing. And, well, she she made it, but I was filming it on my phone for her, and I was telling you earlier that I bet you I've got 35 or 40 videos on my phone <laughs> that all end in, ugh, and we start <laughs> over again, you know, just trying to get it to all work right. But that's, the, that's really the idea that you're illustrating, mm-hmm. which is if the universe is purely materialistic, mm-hmm. naturalistic, whatever synonym you want to use, and there's only molecules in matter – then everything that happens right now is the result of some prior action and so forth, and you go all the way back. And one of the issues with that philosophically, which I don't think we're going to really get into, but people can go look, look it up. One of the arguments for the existence of God is this argument that there can't be an infinite regress of past events when we now know that the universe had a beginning, And so there's a problem with saying there was something, and then there's something before that, and on and on and on. Well, how far back can you you go? At some point, it has to stop, and that's the unmoved mover. Mover
0: of Aristotle, right. And if we move on from there, if everything is caused and only the material world exists, then even my decisions, my decisions that prompt my actions are the result of physical causes like heredity or environment. I may think I am freely deliberating, intending, and deciding but i'm I'm really not, and there are many who believe this this kind of soft determinism that okay there's everything is determined by a cause, but some of that comes from inside, but the soft determinist still concludes that those are causes there are causes to those things that go inside you're deliberating deliberating is caused by something which is caused by something, and you're just part of that very intricate uh, Rube Goldberg process of a cause causing a cause, causing a cause. Um, I mean, even the word motive, you know, why did you do that? What, what motive? What was your motive? It sounds like mo- automotive. It sounds like <laughs> movement, doesn't it? Yeah. It sounds like motion. It's a feature of physics. And we regularly ask each other, why did you do that? <clears throat> Sometimes we say it, what moved you to do that? Or what came over you? You know, what? came like something came over you from the outside. Um, and the answer is sometimes I was under stress. I was triggered. That term is pretty common. I hear that a lot. You know, that triggers me. Mm-hmm. I was triggered by that. That sounds like, okay, you had really no say in that then, did you? Because it was a trick. Somebody pulled the trigger. There was a trigger. And so you had to respond the way you did. I felt like it. Even that, I felt like it's feelings. It's not rational. So um what and we've moved as a society into not asking what do you think about this, but how do I how do you feel about it? What do you feel? What are your feelings? And emotions are hard to command. They're hard to control, right? If you're angry. In fact we shouldn't. We should be honest with our feelings. How we deal with our feelings, feelings are neither good nor bad, as you hear. They're just there. Well, I felt like it means that, well, I was kind of triggered, overcome stressed, moved to do this. It, it, we even use language that sounds like I didn't decide. Um, and I just think that's interesting. Well, it's all well and good
1: on a high level like this. You can even somehow see how this makes sense. It gets tricky when it comes to decisions that we make that hurt people or say that we would say are a criminal. hmm so you play some of these out to the extremes. Well, did somebody who commit a murder, are they responsible for that? If, in fact, everything's been determined and if, in fact, it's just a chemical reaction, it's yeah. just one thing that le- – yeah. and it's not – I mean people might like, oh, come on. But that's really a, – it's a valid critique of this
0: view and something that I think you have to think through if yeah. you hold it. Right, right. An uh, illustration I, I, I was thinking about is I'm, I'm from Wyoming and worked at a guest ranch in Colorado for three years uh, when I was a college student. And, uh, and one of the jobs was to drive this shelf road seven miles to the mailbox every day and also to do shopping runs. And it's at about 7,000 feet. You go down an elevation and if you buy soda pop, can't, you know, cases of Coke or something like that, and you drive that bumpy road and it gets warm, you don't want to open those Coke cans when you get back. Because and if I did, you know, let's say I would decide I'll stop the truck and it's, I'm getting hot. I think I'm going to – there's Coke in the back. I'm going to go have one. And and I open it. I mean there might be an explosion. Can I put moral responsibility on the can of soda? Uh uh, on the road, maybe. Uh, no, moral. I don't blame. You know, I don't put. I don't. Um, I don't prosecute. I don't ask for. You know, you you deserve to tell me. Ask me for forgiveness. You know, yeah. no, it just happens. It's a chemical reactions. If I put an Alka Seltzer in a in a glass of water, that's a chemical reaction. And if if my thoughts, if my decisions are just chemical reactions, then you're right. There is no moral responsibility. Where where's the where's the praising? You know, praising somebody for their actions is like praising the Coke can for not exploding. Well, that's just the way it is. That's the nature of the of the material, substances, and makeup, the compounds that are involved, et cetera. And where's the blaming? You know, why can a criminal—I remember the famous Twinkie defense. You know, a person murders somebody. I, I don't know much more than that, but I, I just—some people. <laughs> some people really know about it, that, that the person was, was acquitted— uh, at least he was not considered a murderer because he had been influenced by the chemicals that he ate. I've never heard that. Yeah, it's too many Twinkies. Just remember that. So um, <laughs> wow. don't eat too much cake. That's, that's the thing because it might cause you to do things like that. So it's similar to that. We, we don't uh, punish criminals so much as we rehabilitate them. Why? Because they're kind of broken. It's not the, And so in a way, we don't apply blame. The same way we used to. We used to punish criminals. It's a penal colony or whatever. Penal. There's a penalty, right? But now they're um, correctional facilities. We're just correcting something that's broken. And to me, it takes away the dignity of the person. No, wait. I chose to do that. No, no, you really didn't. It. It was. It was. You, you were just broken. You were. Um, you were a, like a broken machine. You were like a chemical reaction gone bad, sort of thing. And so that does kind of follow um, because they're only physical objects, because human minds really don't exist, but human brains do. Then how can you blame anybody? Hmm. In in um, Questioning God by John Hopper, one of our search staff guys in Houston, a great book, by the way, Questioning God, he quotes um, atheist and neuroscientist Sam Harris in his book Free Will. Sam Harris writes, free will is an illusion. Our wills, and notice he's a neuroscientist. Mm -hmm. Our wills are simply not our own making. Thoughts and intentions emerge from background causes of which we are unaware and over which we exert no conscious control. We do not have the freedom we think we have. Now, people who have a problem with this view, and a lot of people do, I have no free will. Why do they object? And it's interesting, the listing of the reasons for objecting to this, are uh, it just doesn't sit well with them, or it doesn't fit their, um, their experience. Um, Norm Geisler, in his Intro to Philosophy, lists several objections, and some of the language he uses, like, that's a hard pill to swallow. <laughs> a, can you give me a better reason than that? You know, that's a hard pill to swallow. I want you to go, um, my wife says, okay, it's your turn. To uh, get the car washed, well, that's a hard pill to swallow. She says, "We'll do it anyway." There's really not a <laughs> rational. There's no rationality in that. It's just, first of all, the car is not a pill. What are you talking about? So get away from your from your lousy metaphors and go wash the <laughs> car. Uh, it's a hard pill to swallow. Another is, is um, or it seems inconsistent with the human activity. It seems inconsistent with the human activity of deliberation or a sense of freedom. It seems inconsistent. See those words, seems? That mm-hmm. word seems. As Sam Harris says, you know, you may have the illusion. You may think that you're deliberating, that you're deciding, but you're you're really not. It's an illusion.
1: See, I go – so I read that book. I remember If I remember right, it's a little red book, almost like a pamphlet. It's not this, big. It's yeah. a little book. Yeah. It's interesting. But I, I – and this is how my simple brain thinks about it. But I go, so – how do you write a book about not have did you, who decided to write the book about us not having free will that it's all kind of determined?
0: And what about the thoughts that the book contains? Are yeah. thoughts material?
1: Why should I believe you about anything you're saying in this book if your conclusions are right?
0: Right, because they're just caused by physical irrational things, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's, that's a good one.
1: Now, Sam Harris is a very smart guy, and I'm he being is. a little flippant with this. I, know, but that I is... know. I
0: would like to know. Yeah, that'd be interesting to have him sit here and, and have a conversation yeah, about I, this. I yeah, I
1: didn't find it a real helpful book.
0: Yeah. But it just shows maybe a consistency that if you, fi- if you are truly a materialist, it shows, well, this then is the conclusion. But you're actually using immaterial things like ideas and the laws of logic to say that there are no such thing, in a way, you right? Know, yes. Because lo- the laws of logic aren't physical. It's another
1: right. issue with materialism, right. abstract objects and yeah. Yeah, exactly. things like that. So
0: that's why I say, you know, um, at the beginning, it may be shocking to hear, but how not how can we have free will if there's a God, but in a way, how can we have free will if there's, If there's no God, because then we are, we might be on the illusion that I, I, I make decisions. I thought about it, you know, I, hmm, I really pondered this, but is the the pondering is, is influenced by something physical by definition and, and causes, if something, a ball rolls off the table, I, the, the ball didn't decide to, it just, it did. It was, I would ask what rolled, rolled it off the table. I say, well, the cat knocked it off. what caused the cat to do that? And you go on and it's a Rube Goldberg machine, right? Yeah. Goldberg, say the whole (laughs) name. Um, So that's that's why I said this about, you know, the materialist worldview. If we were to, you know, turn the page and say, okay, so for those, okay, believer in the Bible, believer in God and in Jesus Christ, what does the Bible say about this? if there's god how can you not conclude that you um don't have free will if god's in control well as you know uh this is a subject that is pondered and talked about and debated in every seminary in the world um not just christian i don't think is if in to what sense if there's one who controls the universe then do do I have any control at all?
1: Yeah, so we're going to get to the bottom of it and answer this question once and for all. No, uh, <laughs> but I think we are. We're you're going to introduce us to some maybe guiding principles or concepts, guardrails, as we do think about this. So, if as we move into okay, so if there is a God, and if there is a God, if God is the God of the Bible and mm-hmm. of of Jesus and Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, how would we start to think about these questions? What does God say about these things? So if there's God, yeah. how does it impact this yeah. question?
0: Yeah, because it's our turn now. Okay, Christian, how do you answer this question? And I'd say, well, we can't really answer the question unless we're told you know, something. And so we do operate on the premise that God has told us mm-hmm. about it. Who God is and who we are, and the relationship between the two, right? And and so I'm I'm going to lean on a theologian much more specialized and educated than I am, D. A. Carson. And uh, I read this in a book by Doug Douglas Grotheis.
1: Hey, D. A. is Don. You guys are both named Don. Is that right? Don Don Donald
0: Donald. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's why you picked him.
0: Is is he still at, at Trinity? is that I don't know. Okay. Okay. But his name's Donald, Don, yeah. wherever he I is. I like him. Now I like him even more. Um he writes in his book How Long O Lord, a great topic. I like books with questions. Uh there are th- that there are reasons from the Bible to believe in both, God's control, usually called, you know, sovereignty or sovereign rule, and in addition human free will. So And I would agree. You find that in the Bible. So let's talk about some of that. Yeah. Number one, the Bible affirms that God is absolutely sovereign, but his sovereignty never functions, and these are Carson's words, in a way that human responsibility is curtailed, minimized, or mitigated. Wow. That's a mouthful. His sovereignty never functions in a way that basically compromises human responsibility. And I agree with that. Well, look at, look at his absolutely sovereign will in some of these verses. Uh, Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Wow. Everything. Um, Psalm 135.6, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Notice it's, he's, it's not, well, if, if the committee agrees to it. Or if parliament uh, votes on it and passes the motion, that sort of thing. No, it's everything is by God's pleasure, what he wants, what he desires. Ephesians 1.11, really strong, and not only this, but um, more in that that passage. Um, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. There's the word that Christians use for determined predestined it uh, there's an intention by a person god who kind of determines something future Mm -hmm. right he we having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will it's pretty clear that he predestines according to his purpose and and works all things according to the counsel of his will and again, not the counsel of the angels, not the counsel of any human committee, but the counsel of his will. His pleasure, his, his working is not contingent on anything. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. I, I, you know, I get questioned, oh, and it says he turns it wherever he will. And so in that metaphor, it's like um, a kid with a stream in the mud. He just puts a dam here and he can turn the water. You know, can he really operate like that in a in a king's mind? Can he, can he, can he actually have an influence or cause what the king decides? It sounds like that is the truth, and so we can't um, minimize or forget or soften these strong passages that say God is sovereign and in control.
1: So if that's one that's side one, of uh-huh. the the argument,
0: if you right, will, right? Or one pole. Yep. What's the other side? The other side is exhibited in the quest, common question I get is, is God? what about this pharaoh? God hardened the pharaoh's heart. There were 10 plagues that God brought upon Egypt, and it says God hardened his heart. People say, well, that's taking away his free will. What's interesting though, what people don't notice, there's a summary passage that, begin, that begins, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, he says to Moses. But as they go through the sequence, I think the first four of the 10, it said Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. His heart was hardened. It doesn't say God did it. And then at a certain point, God hardens it. So but a lot of people don't know that. So here here's, is a mixture of Pharaoh's will to harden his own heart. He just didn't want to. He had a lot of reasons why he didn't want to. He thought he was d- divine for one thing. And who is this little tribal God, Yahweh? Now, I'm not going to, I'm going to let my whole slave force go out to worship and, and lose them. I'd be crazy. I'd be a bad Pharaoh. And so he decides he he is as hard as hardened toward what, what Moses says. And uh, so the second part of this, the first part being, like you said, the sovereignty of God. The second part is the free will of man. And that's a passage that involves both, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think people that would help people to understand that because it's a common conception that God Pharaoh, hardened Pharaoh's heart all through it. And we don't see that human choice and volition, um, especially at the beginning often. So the second part is this part about human responsibility or free will. The Bible also affirms that people are morally responsible. In Carson's words, they really do choose, revel, obey, believe, defy, and make decisions. And they are held accountable for their actions. But this characteristic never functions to make God absolutely contingent. Uh, when I think of the word contingent, that's not a common word we use, you know, except if you're in real estate. What are the contingencies that is, you know, sort uh-huh. of the conditions, right? Well, what this means is um, God is not subject to human will or controlled by human beings or thwarted in his plans, ultimately, by, by humans. So God, God is still sovereign. But, but here, look at all these verbs. Uh, we can choose, revel, obey, believe, defy, and make decisions. Defy. Look at that. We can defy. You see that in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, and all, we should ask, why does God give us free will? We should put this in here, I think. Why does God give us free will? Well, look at places where he He does. In Joshua 24, he says, choose this day whom you will serve. Choose. It's a choice. Choose whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. You have a choice. So I'm going to kind of deal with this first real quickly is why would God give us a choice? Because in his plan, it's not just that we go someplace and be in heaven or that we become good people. But he, it's all about relationships. He wants us to have a relationship with God. And that's amazing. Why would the God, the invisible, transcendent, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God, so all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, why would that transcendent being want to have a relationship with me? That's the question I don't think anybody can answer except with the question of love. And when my kids said, asked, well, why does God love us? I don't know. I don't know. He wasn't caused to love us. He loves us from himself. It's self-caused from God. Well, why is that? I don't know. That's like asking, you know, what's north of the North Pole? We've gone <laughs> through that. What's north? Of, they'll say south. No, that's south of the North Pole. Oh, up. No, that's not. Up It doesn't count. No, it, <laughs> it's on the, stay on the globe. So it's like asking what does blue smell like? I remember Norm Geisler asking that. There are certain... Uh, Category mistakes that we make, and one of them is: Why does God? Why does Why is God God? Why does God love? He just does. That's just kind of the answer. Um, So it, he gives us the freedom. Um, If I have an app on my phone, but my phone is off off now, I could take that app, a recording app, and and say say into it, "Don, I love you," and then play it back. And I brag to you, look, my phone loves me. Listen.
1: Well, Siri will tell
0: you. You don't even have to say it yourself. Really? (laughs) Siri will tell me? Yeah. So so you can say, Siri. I'll
1: bet. Hey, Siri, tell me you love me. Oh, it's not. Okay. Well, of course. No, it can't. Apparently it can't. It's not (laughs)
0: working. I'm
1: surprised. I mean, you can say, Siri, tell me a joke. Well, I got it on Don't Disturb. So it might be that. Maybe that's it. Hey Siri, do you love me?
0: I respect you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Okay, tell, I'm
1: switching to Alexa.
0: I know, really, I know. I would change girlfriends if I were you. Yeah, but that's that's illustrates the point. I, I can't say my phone loves me. Same way, if God were to program us to love Him uh, and not not give us the free will to say yes or no. It'd be like a wedding. It's, what a sweet wedding this is. I'm thinking I'm watching this wedding. What a sweet wedding. Tears coming down my cheeks because I know these people. Then I learned, you know, he he is being forced into marrying her, you know, her a threat of his life. All of a sudden, sweet goes away. And it's awful because there has to be an I do. The I do is only meaningful if is the I won't, right? Mm-hmm. By the way, a f- friend of mine who graduated from seminary, first wedding in Arizona said, do you take this um, woman to be your wife? And he says, I, I don't think so. He said, no. At the and altar? S- at the altar, his first wedding. And so, <laughs> so my friend Rick says, I said, what did you do, Rick? He says, I just said, okay, uh, bridal party, bridesman, gr- bridal, uh, whatever, groomsmen and br- bride- bridesmaids have a seat. And he said, we're going to go have a little chat. And so they did. And they talked it all through. He, and it turns out he had cold feet and he just wasn't, he was nervous and his nerves got the best of him. And, uh, and, uh, and, but his mind kicked in, not just his nerves. And, and he th- thought past the chemicals and he said, I'll do it. So he comes out, apologizes to the bride, apologized to the parents of the bride and to the, all the people in attendance and says, I'm, I'm ready to go through with this. But see, that's a picture. God wants us to um, say, "I do" to Him, with um, with it with as a choice, as a choice. So that's behind this. It's all based on uh, on a relationship, um, and the Bible affirms this free choice all the way through. I mentioned the one in Joshua: "Choose this day whom you'll serve." Listen to this one: uh, Each person, James says, is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Interesting, by his own desire. So. Tempted not by some outside force, but the temptation comes from within. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So it 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 actually gets back to so bad choices are made, uh, blamed on the person, his own desire, kind of overcoming maybe a sense of what he ought to be doing or she ought to be doing. Matthew twenty three. What a verse this is for those who believe that um, people aren't free to thwart God's will. Totally, in some way. I don't know this is thwarting his will, but it is definitely not in line with what would have pleased him. So this is where theologians start talking about his his prescribed will versus his permissive will. And the permissive will, he allows for people to not follow or to choose to say, I know I won't, which he did in the garden. He allowed them to say, "to to eat the forbidden fruit, right? Yeah. This passage, in Matthew 23, in the last days of Jesus' life on earth, before the crucifixion, he, he laments over Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Pretty strong mm-hmm. about, you know, the free will. And so a lot of these have horrible consequences. Um Theologian David Brown, old Scottish scholar, to look him up and learn about him. But he was an interesting guy. He calls this the awful dignity of the will. It's awful in the sense that you can actually choose to do, um, take a, take an action that will hurt you and hurt you forever, even. Um, the awful dignity, but that word dignity's there. That there's a dignity that I I am a person. Who has been given um, the privilege of making choices. You really chose it. I really chose yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. It's not a facade, an illusion. No. And, and in that verse, in Matthew, people are held accountable for their choices. Uh, there's a lot of passages about this. Boy, just almost anywhere in the Bible. Let me read to you uh, one famous one. You know, Deuteronomy is one of the most quoted books by Jesus. And it's for the Jews and for Christians alike. <clears throat> it's a summary of God's covenant from Mount Sinai, and it's Moses' words. The entire book of Deuteronomy, practically except the first couple in the end, are are in quotations, right?
1: Yeah. Well, Moses probably didn't write the part where he dies. No, no, I, I
0: don't think he did. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but most of the other stuff. Yeah, exactly. Somebody says we have to finish this book. Yeah, and they did. <laughs> Maybe Joshua did it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it says, see, now this is God talking, I have set before you today life and the good, death and evil. So I've got these choices, either or. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. Notice the if and then. If you choose this, then this will happen, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But the opposite is true. If your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, insert then, but it says, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you going, are going over the Jordan to enter and possess, etc. And this conclusion, therefore choose life. If you're looking for passages that say that God has given us choices. You know, what better than this? And there are slews of them, lots of them. Choose life, it says. Um, in the New Testament, one of the biggest is, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And um, there's a place in, what, 2 Corinthians 5, where our job as Christians partly is to is to bring the news of reconciliation. You know, I, I plead with you. I, I, um, I plead with you that you reconciled yourself to God. Um, it's a it's a plea, of persuasion. And, oh, by the way, too, and uh, I, I learned this also from Norman Geisler, is that in Acts, you see both of these, the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, um, within three or four verses of each other in the book of Acts. At the end of chapter 13, it says, and everyone who was appointed to eternal life believed. And then four verses later, says, and Paul and Barnabas spoke in such a way or were so persuasive, some some. aversions say, that many believed. So which is it? Was it God appointing or was it Paul persuading and yes. them choosing? And the answer is yes. And as when Geisler uh, was talking about this, he said, and there's no apology from the author, Luke, to say, now I'm going to be inconsistent here. No, it's all through the Bible you see both. So I hope that's that's enough to make that clear.
1: I think it is. And tell me what you think of this, because this this of course, with without being silly about it, I mean this this question is really one of those very big questions that a lot of ink has been spilled on and and there's real tension here when you when you read the biblical text, and, and you're just giving us a couple examples, but but I mean the amount of work that has gone into trying to put all this together, and nobody's been able to do it uh, yet. So, in other words, we, from a Christian theological perspective, we really everybody gets to a point where we go, "Well, I don't know how it works out." We know these things are true. How does it work? We really don't – we don't know how it works, but we know that these two things are true, that God is sovereign and that people really do have uh, a freedom of of choice and and bear responsibility for those those choices. Um, For backing up from the topic a little bit though, Mm -hmm. for me, this is one of the reasons I think Christianity is true, actually, Hmm. because – when you read through the bible you find that this is not the only issue that is complicated and in, in which there is tension between mm-hmm. viewpoints that you could think are really contradictory but you look at them and you know they're not contradictory they mm-hmm. we don't quite understand how they fit together mm-hmm. but we know they're not contradictory there's a mystery mm-hmm. to it mm-hmm. and I would propose and I didn't get this, but I I would agree with it. Uh came from, I forget where I heard this, but somebody once said that for every major thought or every major doctrine that the Bible puts forward, there's actually this tension. Mm. So you, you you start thinking about it, it's really true. So God is trinity. Mm. 3 in 1. Mm. How does that work? Mm-hmm. I, we don't. There's t- there's tension, but we know it's true. Uh, the Bible is written by God and human beings. Mm-hmm. Those are both. They're both. How does that? I don't. I don't know. But they're true, and we're trying to f- figure it out. But there's there's tension. Free will uh, and God's sovereignty is is another one. You you can go yep. on down the line. Who is line. Jesus
0: Christ? Is he human? He's God and man. Or God.
1: How does that work? God. I don't know. Yeah. But it's true. Anyway, I say that it's one of the reasons I really believe Christianity is true because I think if – if you're to back up and go, if there's a God really like the God of the Bible and that God writes a book, should we be able to read it and just
0: get it? Like everything?
1: Yeah. Like, you know – because sometimes people go, well, the Bible's really complicated or why isn't it simpler? Well, if you – The creator of the universe writes a book. Do you think you're going to sit down with a cup of coffee one morning and just read it and fully comprehend everything about it? Or would you think, like, people will tell you, I know this is true of you, it's true of me, and it's true of anybody that I know who's been a serious student of the Bible. They'll tell you, can read it and study it your whole life and Mm -hmm. feel like you never scratched the surface. And there's really something to that.
0: Yes, and, and its unknowability or its mystery doesn't make it true. But it would the mystery would be consistent with the idea if there's a God who wrote it and God is transcendent, then it would makes it would it would follow that as as a as one person put it that not all of his software could run on our hardware, that that his all the – all you know, and we've all run into that with in the old days with small computers I can't run that software, and to me I would just echo that that if God were to write a book then two things would be true of it. There would be that which we would understand because otherwise he would be a bad communicator. There are some of those things that we are meant to understand. And it would also follow, number two, that there would be things that are, transcend our understanding. And I think you're right. If, it, if, it, if we could understand it all, it would, it would be – to me, it would be uh, – I would be suspicious that people invented it.
1: Yeah, and I don't know if you feel this way, uh, so I'll speak for myself, and I mean no disrespect to any other religion or followers of of other religions. But I have made it a practice in my life to – as best as I can when I'm exploring ideas to go to the source, right? You want primary source. You don't want to read what somebody thinks about something. Go read the thing. I've read the sacred texts of many of the world religions, the big ones, the actual sources, and they're very different than the Bible and it's and, and they're and especially when it comes to even this I think of the Quran, you know, it's very different. Oh, God, uh his sovereignty and free will and there there's not the nuance that we read here. It's 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 It it, it's easier. It reads like something uh, one person wrote, and it's fairly easy to comprehend at first blush. And again, that's no disrespect to anybody. That's just my my take. It's very different when you go read it yourself.
0: And in a way, somebody may say, "Well, that's the kind of book I want. I want to be able to understand it." But what we're saying is that you know there could be uh, the downside. To not consider the Bible because it's difficult mm-hmm. would be what you're saying. Maybe it's difficult because it's from someone higher than, than we. And so it makes us um, – <laughs> these mysteries are a sign perhaps that, they're, that the that this software wasn't written by us.
1: Well, yeah. Do you want to watch <laughs> a TV show where you catch everything that's going on the very first time you watch mm-hmm. it? Do you go back and rewatch that? Why is The Office probably the the most streamed show right now? There are all kinds
0: of reasons, right? But mm-hmm. you ever watched that? Oh, we've watched the whole thing, um, yes. Probably more than once, the whole series, yeah.
1: Why? Because every time you watch it, there's a layer you didn't catch. Yeah. Every time you watch it, there's something you didn't catch before and you well, keep coming back. And
0: isn't that the way of art? I mean, nobody says, well, I I, I looked at that painting once. I listened to that song once. That's enough. Now, there's something about art that draws us back. What makes a classic a classic is that you you can't exhaust its beauty by one look. And so that's – I think the Bible fits that category. Um,
1: Now, Don, mm -hmm. as we kind of (laughs) trend towards wrapping this up. So if you get this question, here's where it all comes together. So, all right. I hear you. Putting it all together, the mystery, the poles, the both and all that. But if God knows everything, is it possible for me to have a free will when he knows what I'm going
0: to do before I do it? Yes. And, you know, um, this is a good question. And again, we're not exhausting this huge topic today, are we? But this is a common question. And – uh, this is kind of how i'm looking at it and and the basis is um one of the verses that's a base is the phrasing in a in one of the in the first and second verse of a little book in the bible called first peter 1 mm. the first letter of peter it's he starts peter an apostle of jesus christ to god's elect that's interesting some say chosen exiles scattered throughout the provinces of he names these five provinces who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Um, interesting that word according, not because of or in spite of, but a, according. So chosen in accordance with, almost like they're in fancy grammar term, apposition. They're happening at the same time. They're simultaneous. There's something going on at the same time. In the, in the grand scheme of things, I don't know if it's right, but it, but if God is outside time, We just went to the Rose Parade, by the way, in Pasadena for the first—I went years ago. Ann's first time was—and I think that's where I got COVID, by the way. But anyway, this parade is such that, of course, you're sitting in the—we're sitting in the grandstands, and we're watching it go by a float and a band at a time, right? Uh Now, there's a blimp up there. The Goodyear blimp is flying, up, and they see—can probably see the whole five-mile route. So they see the whole thing. Now, in a way, God is like that. He sees the whole route— but even more than that, if I could um, show with my hands, uh, you would see it better. But you know how you're looking at the parade front left or the beginning where the parade's coming from uh, on the left and where it's going on the right? Okay, if you can see right and left from above, what if you turn the whole thing and you look down the street as if every every float and every band was a point? I don't know if you get that, but if you were to take that whole thing and turn it, 90 degrees. So you're, you're now on the street looking down, and you're seeing, in a way, if you, could, if you had x-ray vision, you'd see all the bands and floats at the same time. So you'd see what is to us past, present, and future. You'd see one present view. You'd yeah. see everything all the way down the line, all the way down Colorado Street. Let's just take Colorado Street. You see all of those. In a way, I think that's how God is, sees things. He sees them not in sequence, but he's outside of time. And it fits with modern day physics. That what is physical reality includes the fourth dimension, time. That the Big Bang was the beginning of what we know as uh, physical, physical, the physical, uh, physical stuff of life, which includes matter, energy, space, and time, right? So if God, therefore, God is outside of time. So that really helps. How can God have foreknowledge? Well, it's not really foreknowledge. He knows it now. He doesn't know he it ahead it of time. He It's <laughs> foreknowledge from our point of view, but he knows it now. So an illustration of that is – okay, knowing that is let illustrate. Let's back up to our little world. And if I ask you, so Blaine, what did you have for breakfast yesterday?
1: Um, nothing.
0: Did you – so
1: you have nothing. You don't eat breakfast? I don't eat breakfast. I'm doing that intermittent fasting.
0: <sighs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Which is great, by the way. Okay. It's awesome. Okay. So you chose not to eat breakfast. Well, I don't, I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure anymore.
1: <laughs> How many times is I going to make that joke? Okay. You okay, know, yes, okay. uh, I chose not to eat breakfast yesterday. You
0: chose not to eat breakfast. And so it's fixed in time. What if you decide I choose to eat breakfast yesterday? Can you do that? No. No. Why? It's fixed. It's already un- happened. It's unchangeable. It's already happened, right? So you can't, it's fixed and unchangeable. It's set. It's like. We know what happened already, and yet you are free to choose not to have breakfast. So you should see that the, the, at the same time, you see f- your freedom to choose not to have breakfast and that it's fixed and unchangeable. And it's fixed and unchangeable even if you wanted to change it now, right? Yeah. Now, so what—but God doesn't just see the past. He actually sees the past better than we do. He would write a much better history than we could. Um, but he knows the future. He knows the future as well as the past. He knows what you are going to freely choose to have breakfast tomorrow or not to have breakfast. He knows what you're going to freely choose. He knows that. Does that control or take away the free will? No, no more than it does control or take away your free will regarding yesterday. So that was a picture. It, it, doesn't, it's, there, it doesn't answer everything. In a way, it sounds like then God, his will is contingent on our choice. No, not if they're simultaneous, not if they're in accordance with, not if they're um, in the same moment, because God doesn't think in sequence if God is outside time. I mean, just positing that. Yeah. To me, it, it it is consistent with the greatness of God. If you say, wow, my brain can't wrap, wrap around that. Well, yeah, well, that'll get used to that. There are some things in the Bible, like we've talking about, that you won't be able to really understand. So, but that was help, helpful to me. God knows the future perfectly as we know only the past. He knows what I will freely choose. Can he also order circumstances without manipulating people's wills so that the results he has planned happen just as he has planned? I think so. But that sounds so complicated. How can anybody do that? Well, how can you create a universe out of nothing? God's good at the impossible. Very to, good to us, it's very complicated to God, it is effortless, literally.
1: so if we're going to land this good year blimp <laughs> on this on this episode, Don, what do you want everyone to to leave thinking about?
0: I want them to think, okay, yeah, what does this mean to us um, for years, I did discussions and q and a s in treatment centers for alcoholics and addicts. And when they ask me this question, because they're wanting to know, if I'm participating in these 12 steps, are they my 12 steps or my higher power's 12 steps? I say, you are, you are going to take the steps, but you're going to have the, the, even the motivation, much time and the strength, and because your life is unmanageable. Um, you're going to take those steps. You're going to take those steps. And I would say to them, God sovereignly created you to be able to make choices. He gave you that dignity. Some of those choices are small, and many are important, and one is monumental. And so I would say the most monumental choice of all is, what am I going to do with God? And I'm gonna, am I going to look for Him? So I would say this. I wrote this ahead of time because I wanted to word it correct, as, as I really what my heart tells me to say, is, will you choose to seek God? Are you willing to be willing even to do what it takes to abandon what you've been told Even even what you've told yourself, to abandon what you're afraid of, or even what Blaine and I tell you, or you abandon that and just make it between you and God, forget all that. And just look to heaven and say, I'm willing if you are there, I want to know you. Just start there because you have that the dignity to decide whether to look for God or not. And if God is there, there's no better program, no better purpose for your life. Well, Don,
1: that is a fantastic way to end this episode. Thank you so much for being my guest and for bringing such great clarity and thoughtfulness to this difficult topic.
0: Well, you're welcome. It is, it's been, it's been uh, good for me as well. Thank you, Blaine. You're a great interviewer, too. Appreciate the conversation, what you added to it, too. Appreciate it. Well,
1: thank you. And uh, to all of you, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time.